Today, we're going to be in James chapter 5. While you get your Bible and get ready to go there, let me tell you, these are crazy times. A lot of stuff is weird, like stuff that, that you have not seen in your lifetime. And, and a lot of people are telling you what you ought to be doing. Some people are saying you ought to be saving. This economy is crazy. It's up and down. It's, you, know, you better be saving. A lot of people are telling you you need to be social distancing. This COVID thing is serious, and, and that's why the rows are six feet apart, and that's why we're taking extra care with your kids around here, because it is serious. A lot of people are, are telling you, you know, you need to be learning what you don't know about race issues, because there's a real problem in this country, and, and maybe we're all a part of that problem. Maybe we can all learn something. You know, I, I would agree with every one of those statements. We ought to be learning. We ought to be humbling ourselves. We ought to be taking care of ourselves uh, and taking this, uh, this COVID situation seriously. You ought to be working and taking care of your finances. But let me tell you, there's one thing that's more important than all those things is we ought to be in the presence of God. We ought to be in his word because God's word doesn't just speak when times are good or when times are quote unquote normal. God's word was written for times like this. He speaks to us in times like this. And so there's nothing more important than being people of the word in the worst times, in the most uncertain times, or just the weirdest confusing times. We want to be people of the word. That's why we chose the book of James. It's basically wisdom for Christian living. And so we've been chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. We've been doing a, a deep dive into the book of James. Today, we move on to chapter five. I want you to open it up and read it with me. This is about wisdom with wealth, beginning in verse one, James five. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Sounds very encouraging so far, doesn't it? Your wealth has rotted. The moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. It's getting even better as we go. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay your workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. Now, this is James writing in a culture where there's very few wealthy Christians. So he's really talking to non-Christians who are oppressing Christian workers or, or just workers in general, who, who, who've been very, very wealthy and abusive and, and oppressive. The truth of the matter is you're living today in the most Christian nation and the most blessed nation on earth. Those two things are not coincidental. Can I hear an amen? amen. So, so you, actually the script has been reversed. In, in James's day, the wealthy people were non-Christians. In our day, the wealthy people are the Christians. Because if, it, it turns out that when you follow God's word, he likes to prosper you and he blesses you. And so even the least wealthy people in America are by global standards very wealthy because we have food and clothing and shelter. And if you add to that that you've got money in a bank account, not a whole lot, but just some, and you have an automobile to get yourself around, that puts you up in the top 1% of the wealthiest people on planet earth. And that's not something to, to brag about because God did it. It's certainly something, not something to be shameful about. It's the blessing of God. But now these words really speak to us. What does God say about us and how we use the wealth he's blessed us with? We're going to go right through it like we did the other four chapters. And we're going to jump right in here today. Now I'll start off by saying that wealth is not something God is against. You know, some of the some of those godly people like Abraham were very wealthy. You take people like Job. The Bible says Job was the wealthiest man 
in his time. And he was also the godliest man. You, you know, a lot of times people look at wealthy people like there's something wrong. They, they cheated everybody and they're, they're godless. But, but some of the most godly people were also wealthy. You, you look at Solomon, you look at David, the wealthiest men who lived. Even, you know, the, the tomb that Jesus was laid in was borrowed from a rich man. Joseph of Arimathea was a Jew who also was a follower of Jesus. And so God speaks to a lot of people. And here's what I want to do. I want to see us all blessed and prosperous but most importantly, that we're still following the example of Jesus. So I want to show you there are three basic mistakes we make with our wealth. And, and now this message is really just for people who've ever made any mistakes with money. So I want to excuse all the people who've never made a financial mistake in their life to go ahead and go to lunch. Or is there anybody? Okay, let's all hold our seats for right now, all right? So this is some stuff we can learn from. I want to show you three mistakes that we make with our wealth. And, and it starts in verse number three. He says, you have hoarded wealth in the last days. Now we have notes for you. Pull them out of your worship guide, follow along, fill in the blanks. Mistake number one, hoarding, hoarding. Now here's a, here's a little moment for you to um, confess your sins before one another. How many of you like and watch that show, Hoarding Buried Alive? Come on, don't lie in the house of God. You see those people with 87 cans of tuna that have been used up and it's just so nasty. Well, God uses that word hoarding. God doesn't want you to stockpile wealth. Saving is a different story. But just hoarding it for the sake of having it. Like, I can't get enough. I've got more than I've ever gotten. I've got to get more than that. They used to call that, you know, people that say, uh, you know, make all you can and can all you make. You know, hold it and hide it and make sure you got more. Every now and then you read an article about an elderly person who passed away in abject poverty. And when they go through their house, they find coffee cans full of hundreds of thousands of dollars. It really is a mental problem. It's an emotional and a spiritual problem. That feeling that we've got to hold on to, that we've got to have more and more and more. See, the wealth that God has created is to bless the hurting people of the world. There, did you know there's more starvation in the world today than there's ever been in human history? Did you know there are more people in slavery today than there's ever been in human history? Those are facts. Those are not my opinions. And, and we have been blessed with an opportunity to help those people. And, and if I have this feeling that I got to have more money and I got to have more of this, what, what it actually is, 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 is based or rooted in is my belief in some other source than Jesus. You know, there, there are people who don't have two nickels to rub together in Africa at Daystar Church that worship like crazy. They completely trust in God completely. Why can't we do the same? Why can't we let God be our source and not believe that our money is our source? The truth is God has no short supply of money. God's got all the money there is, all that you could ever need. And if you are faithful with it, if you work hard for it, if you spend it wisely, God will make sure you have what you need. But when you trust in it, he says things like this. Verse two, your wealth has rotted. Moths have eaten your clothes and your gold and silver are corroded. You see what he's saying there? He's saying everything you focused on can be disintegrated. It's all earthly. It's all temporary. And it's not going to last. The truth of the matter is everything in this building right now is going to be destroyed. It's all going to go away. There's only one thing in this room that's eternal, and that's you. You're going to last forever. So you, you need to invest in you, invest in your soul, invest in your spirit, invest in God's plan. First mistake is hoarding. Second mistake, number two, is cheating. A lot of different ways to be dishonest, unfair business deals, not giving your boss a full day's work when he's paying you for a full day's work, you know, cheating your employees. There's a lot of different ways to do that. Sometimes just people don't pay their bills, right? They don't pay their debts. James says in verse four, look, 
The wages you fail to pay workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. In other words, what he's saying is the people you've cheated, God hears their cries. And it seems like you got ahead of them. It seems like that money is in your pocket, but it's going to end up costing you more. God is particularly loyal to the poor. You, you can't read the Bible without seeing that. He's loyal to uh, widows and orphans and single moms and the elderly. God's particularly uh, loyal to, to, to uh, minority communities that are underprivileged. And, and, and when, we, when we're uh, unfair to that community, to those communities, God says it's going to cost you more in the end. Next, James talks about how we spend money. So he said, don't be hoarding, don't be cheating. And then in verse 5, he says, you've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. Elbow your neighbor and say, he's coming after me now. Here it goes. Number three, wasting, self-indulging. Remember, I didn't say this. Your Bible said this, okay? Grandma's coffee table Bible said all this, all right? I didn't make this up. And that's probably our biggest temptation as Americans. See, because Americans work more hours than any other people on planet Earth. We work harder. We earn more. And, and we, we just feel like that's our identity is, is what we earn and, and, and what our position is. And that's why in, in 2018, Americans left. Listen to this. 768 million days of unused paid vacation. Millions of, and some of you are like, not me, bro, I'm out of here. <laughs> but but the, it, it's a national feeling like we've got to work it, we got to earn it, we got to get there, we got to beat out the other guy. And when we get there, we feel entitled to spend it. How, man, I worked hard for this money, this is my money, I earned it, I'll do whatever I want to do with it. And, and you know why there's some truth to, you know, you ought to reap the benefits of your work. It really puts all of it on me instead of putting the onus on God. First of all, I would remind you about six weeks ago, I preached a message called No Days Off, where I talked about that, that mindful, that, that, that attitude in our culture where we just work, 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 and we don't Sabbath before God. I wish you'd go back and, and watch that again or listen to that again. But secondly, we forget that we don't belong here. Do you remember the Bible says that we are pilgrims? The reason we call this series Anything But Normal is because there's too much talk about, well, we want to get back to normal. And I want to remind the, the Christian church that God's word says we are never supposed to fit in on this earth. We're not supposed to be like everybody else. We're not supposed to be normal. We're strangers and pilgrims. And while I'm citizen in the United States, I mean, I'm a citizen of the greatest nation there's ever been. I couldn't be more proud of it. The truth of the matter is my real citizenship lies beyond this place in the kingdom that is invisible and eternal, and it's never going to go away. And so I don't want to get so in love with stuff down here that I'm not ready for that kingdom up there. Come on, somebody help me and say amen. There's something bigger for us. There's something better for us. There's something more eternal. And so what will happen is our culture that is so into bling and stuff and keeping up with the Kardashians and what cars and clothes and house and boats and stuff you have, there's so much into that. It sucks you right into it too. And you get all kind of stuff, man. You're working harder than you have to work. You're earning more than you have to have. And you're spending even more than you've earned. That's the American way, y'all. <laughs> That's how we do it. And, and, and if you're not careful, your whole life revolves around how much money you can make. So here's a spending tweak. If I could give you a small tweak that would change everything. You ready for it? One tweak. Stop spending entirely. Just a small change, right? 
Just don't ever spend one more penny for the rest of your life. Is that, that's a small tweak. Stop spending, start investing. Every dollar that comes out of your hand, think about it as an investment. Start with lunch today. If you go into a restaurant, we're not going to spend money on lunch. We're going to invest in our health. Would that change which number of combo you bought when you started thinking like that? <laughs> right? This, this food is an investment in my body. My body needs it. I'm going to invest in it. Right? You're going away to college? Okay. You're not just going to college and you're just spending the money because, you know, that's what everybody's doing and it's time to go to college. No, this is an investment in my future. It'll change the way you see your classes. Well, I don't have to worry about that. I'm getting a student loan. I'm not, yeah, you're going to worry about that, bro. See me in 10 years. Okay. And then again in 20 years. Okay. So think about it as an investment. You're not buying a car to show everybody how cool your car is. Think about it. this is an investment to get me where I need to go. I mean, if you changed your mentality to spending, from spending to investing, it changes everything, okay? It's not about the stuff I've got. It's about who God's making me. It's, it's about things inside of me, not things outside of me. So, so those are mistakes he highlights. He says, okay, you're, you're hoarding, you know, you're cheating people, and you're wasting money. But how do we fix that? Here's God's plan. God makes it real plain in 3 John 1 and 2. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Good news. God wants you to prosper. God's a prosperity God. You've heard about those prosperity preachers, you know, give me some money and God will bless you. <laughs> That's not exactly what God says, but what God does say is I, I'm pro-prosperity. I want you to prosper. I want you to have what you need to do what you're called to do. That, by the way, that's what biblical prosperity is. If you're wondering what, what is real prosperity, it's not, you know, preachers flying jets around for $200 million. That's not what real, real prosperity is. God has an assignment for you to do while you're on this earth. He's going to give you enough money so you can get the assignment done. That's prosperity. Is that okay? Can I hear an amen to that? That's what prosperity looks like, okay? And so God says right there in this verse that I want you to prosper. I want you to have everything you need, and I want you to also be in health just as your soul prospers. In other words, there's an underlying concern that's bigger than the money, the stuff, the things, your soul's prosperity. God is saying, if your soul's not prospering, I don't care about that other stuff. I don't care about how big your house is. I'm not worried about, you know, if you've got the right kind of car. I'm not worried about piles of money in your 401k. What I'm worried about is your soul prospering because that 401k is going to burn up with this building and with the clothes that you're wearing and the car that you drove here. All of that stuff is going to be gone. And the only eternal thing is going to be you, your soul. I've got to make sure my soul prospers because that's the only thing that's going to last. So when God prospers, when you get your soul going, God's going to prosper you in other ways. And don't apologize for it. He said it in his word. He wants it to happen. Just make sure your soul is first. So here's what this looks like. Number one, instead of hoarding, he says, save faithfully. Now we're going to get into the Proverbs. And as I read this, dads, you're going to, here's what I wish you dads would do. As I read the Proverbs today, make yourself a mental note that over dinner at home, each time that you have home dinner, read uh, uh, something from the Proverbs. Dads, you're going to love these next verses. Proverbs 21 and 20, a wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. Let that sit there just for a minute. Are you the wise man or the foolish man? Answer only in your head. You don't have to say it out loud. The wise man saves. Now let's be honest. We're Americans. Saving is not our jam. 
Our, whole, our government sets the standard for us. Our government makes more money than any government in the history of the world, and that's still not enough for them. They spend way more than they make, all right? And then we do the same thing. We have a culture that entitles us and enables us to do that. So you can sign here and get a credit card and get this cash. You can sign here and take a car home with no money down, sign here, and refinance your loan. And, and, and if you're not careful, you let the culture just take you into what our culture does. And God says, don't be normal. Say those three words with me. Don't be normal. Come on, everybody say, I'm not normal. Say it with me. I'm not normal. Say that out loud. Now your neighbor is going, I knew it. I knew it all along. I'm not normal. I'm not supposed to be normal. So I'm going to save. It was John Rockefeller who said, here's the secret to success. Tithe 10%, save 10%, and live on 80. That was John Rockefeller. It worked out pretty well for him, right? I've been teaching my kids that their whole life. I feel like if I could show them those things, it would be more valuable than buying braces and buying them new cars and sending them away to the best colleges. The best thing. Listen, I grew up in a family that, that was poor. We didn't have a whole lot of money. My, my folks didn't give me any new, new stuff, new clothes. I wore hand-me-down clothes. I wore shoes that people made fun of, but they gave me the most value. It was worth more than hundreds of thousands of dollars. They taught me how to save, give, and spend wisely. I'm telling you, that's more valuable than a trust fund set aside for your kid with a million dollars in it. Somebody say Amen. It absolutely is. You can never have enough if you've got the wrong mindset. And so I've, I've taught my kid, my little seven-year-old today, he's got a little bucket. He's got a, he's got a give bucket, a save bucket, and a spend bucket. And he's pulling out of his give bucket his $1 today. He's bringing it today. He knows where that money's going. He's excited about it. He's helping the orphans in Africa. That's what, what his mind can process. He loves that reality. What I'm hoping for him, not that the church or the Lord needed his little dollar. No, we don't. What I'm hoping for him is that he he realizes that that dollar is not his source, that the Lord is his source. And if you'll trust in God and not your dollars, God will come through in the middle of the night. God will come through when you're sick and you don't know what you're going to do. God will come through when your marriage is being torn apart. God will come through when your body is aching and you're dying of cancer. How many know God is the God of all seasons at all times? We've got to trust him. So we learn to, to save instead of hoarding. Secondly, instead of cheating, earn honestly. Again, back to the Proverbs, wealth and gambling quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work grows. When, when, when you do get rich quick schemes, you might make a little money, but that's going to go away. Hard work is what makes it work. The Bible says it over and over again. Watch this, dads. You're going to love this. Proverbs 14 and 23, hard work brings a profit. Mere talk leads to poverty. How many know there are some people who talk and there are some people who work? Let me get the most robust amen from all the men in the house. And everybody said, amen. You know, there's talking and then there's work. And, and you know what? That wasn't an American idea. The proverb said that 3,000 years ago. Let's read on. Chapter 11 says, the lazy man will never have enough money, but an aggressive man will get rich. I told you, dad, you're going to want to read this to your kids at the dinner table. This is God's word. One more, chapter 12. If you're lazy, you'll never get what you're after. But if you work hard, you can get a fortune. Listen, God likes hard work. No, no secret to it. You just have to make sure your hard work doesn't infringe on your health, first of all. 
I mean, because if you're destroying your body, if your body can't sleep at night, if you can't, if you can't get your brain, you're carrying so much stress that you can't rest. That's God who created your body using your body to tell you, hey, you're doing this wrong. Can, can we be honest to the men in the room and, and ladies too, really, if you're working to a pace that your body's trying to tell you something is wrong, you better listen to your body. Come on, somebody help me and say, amen. So your health, secondly, your family. If you don't have any time for your family, if the stress of your work is destroying your family, that's God telling you there's a better way to do this. You still have to work, still need to work, but there's a better way to do it. What if it's destroying other people? You're trying to get somewhere so hard, you're driving people, people you work for or people that work for you. That's not right. And most importantly, your spiritual life. If you're working, you're reading all these verses, man, I don't want to be that lazy man. I want to be the guy that goes after it. And so it ends up being seven days a week. It ends up being daylight to dark. There's no time for family. There's no time for prayer. There's no time for God. What, what, that, what that ends up doing is it actually takes you farther away from God and farther away from that commitment that God has made to you where he basically says, hey, I'll prosper you in every way as long as your soul prospers. I don't want prosperity that I've engineered for myself. I want God's prosperity. So here's the last one, number three, closing out with this. Instead of wasting, give generously. Now, I can't talk about giving generously until I talk about spending wisely. You can't get there. Can't be a generous giver till you learn how to control your spending. And as we said earlier, make it investing. Here's what the Bible says in Proverbs 21.5. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. So do you have a, do you have a financial plan? Do you have a spending plan? Or uh, do you just have a plan to not get kicked out of your house because you didn't pay the rent? If you have a real plan, the Bible says that leads to profit. But if you're just hasty about it, just doing whatever feels right, you just spend it because it's in your hand, then it leads to poverty. I want to tell you my plan. This one worked for me uh, from the time that I was in my 20s when Leslie and I first got married. So I call this the effectively broke plan. And some of you are already like, I could get on board with this. I'm there. <laughs> so I, I like to live like I'm broke. Even if I have money in savings account or if I've got more money than I need, I like to get it out of my hands. I like to put it somewhere so I don't see it. I don't hold it. I don't feel it. And I, and I feel like, you know, when I'm going around, uh, I, I go in the gas station and there's a, there's a soda for a soda pop. Is that what we're calling it today for pops? There's a drink in there for, for $2.50. I'm like, that's crazy, man. I can get a two liter for $2.50. Come on, how many cheap dads out in the house with me like that? I like to feel that way all the time. Even if I'm not really broke, I like to feel like I'm broke. And it started when I wasn't effectively broke, I was really broke. Leslie and I started in the ministry. Uh, we lived in poverty. I had three jobs. She had two jobs. We both went to school at the same time. And I was a youth pastor at a church. And all that combined got me up to being in poverty. People were dropping off groceries on our front porch to keep us alive. I mean, that's how we live. So we learned how to figure it out. I mean, though, this is the land of opportunity, man. If you hustle, you can make it work with a little bit of money. You don't have to have a whole lot, man. We did it. Worked fine. We were happy. We weren't stressed out, man. We were just happy. So we learned how to make it. And then over time, because the I just read them to you many different places over, God says, you work hard, you put me first, I'll take care of you. And he has. So little by little, God take care of us. You get a little pay raise. And we decide, hey, you get a $25 a week pay raise. Well, man, I can go buy a TV, you know, for $100 a month, same as cash. No, don't do that. 
We said that $25, we're going to give $5 of that to the Lord because that's 20%. Actually, we started when we were, when I was uh, just married, we'd been married about six months. We said, okay, if, if, if 10%, we're making nothing, 10% of nothing is not much. We'll go ahead and give God 20% of nothing. That's a little bit more than nothing. And we've been doing that for 26 years of marriage. More than that, actually, more than 20%. Some of you are like, well, you don't understand my position. 10% of what I make, now that's just a lot of money. I'm going to pray for God to get you down in a position you could afford to give. No, I won't. I promise. I'd never pray, pray that way. But honestly, I did learn at a very small age as a child. And so when I was making nothing, it was easier to tithe. And, and, and I recognize if this is not something you ever learned, you have to grow into it. You know, it's like stepping up onto the, the, the front porch. You, you need steps to get there. I, I, you have to think about that and figure out what that looks like for you. But for me, my effectively broke plan was as I would make a little bit of more money, I'd send that money somewhere else and keep it out of my pocket. Maybe I'd put a little in my pocket, but most of it, this goes to a 401k. And then the next pay raise went to a uh, 529 plan so my kids could go to college. I, I was able to cash flow my kid going to college. That's a great plan. It took me 18 years of being ready to be able to do that, okay? Little by little, I just made that money go. This one, then it went to a, 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 an investment account so that I could buy a car one day. So I started making payments on my car before I bought the car. So that by the time I was ready to buy the car, I paid for it in cash and paid a whole lot less. I, I'm telling you, this is, this, this is how you make wise choices. I call that the effective broke plan. Now, you make your own plan. Figure it out, read a book, get, get somebody's advice. What I'm telling you is, if you have a plan, it leads to profit. That's what the Bible says. But if you just live in haste, it leads to poverty. Now, why am I telling you all this? Because God wants to bless you. He is active. God has more money, more financial blessings, more leadership positions, more opportunities than he has people to give it to. Get that through your head. God has more money than he can find people to give it to. God has more leadership positions. If you're into that kind of, he's got more of that. Here's what God is looking for. Someone who recognizes the why of his blessings. Why does God bless me? And he told Abraham, who we call Father Abraham, the father of our faith. He said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. And there's the why. God says, I got plenty of blessing, but I'm not giving it to a dead end street. If I give it to you and it's all about you, I won't give it to you. But if I give it to you and you pass it on, you're the one I'm giving it to. I've got to be a river, not a reservoir. I got to be something that the water passes through. There's a verse speaking of water. Watch this. It says it's impossible. To, let, me, let me get this right. Proverb eleven twenty four. It is possible to give away and become richer. It's also possible to hold on too tightly and lose everything. Yes, the generous man will be made rich. And watch this. By watering others, he waters who, church? Himself. When I help you, I'm helping myself. When, and it's not just money. If I smile at you, it helps me feel better. If I say encouraging words to you, it makes me feel better about me. If I say nice words behind your back about you, it's a little harder to do, isn't it? Nice words about you behind your back, it makes me feel better about me. If I give, I receive. This is, this is the plan of God. People say things wisely like, hey, you can't take it with you when you go. No, you can't, but you can send it ahead. Jesus said, store up for yourself treasures in what? Heaven. 
where moths and, 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 and rust won't destroy. There is a way for you to invest in other people. And it does start at your church. I would be remiss if I didn't read this verse to you. 1 Corinthians 16 and 2 on every Sunday. Put aside something from what you've earned during the week. Use it for the offering. The amount depends on how much the Lord has helped you to earn. This is, this is, this is how we respond to the call of God. This is how our church blesses people. It's how you get to feel good about it. Man, I got to put boxes in people's cards this week. Thousands. Did you know our church this week gave away thousands of families free food? Can you clap your hands and thank God for the ability to be a church that could do that? It's fantastic. Uh, we're famous in, in a big city in Uganda, Imbarara, Uganda. You walk those streets with a Daystar t-shirt, somebody's going to love on you because we've been feeding the whole stinking city since the pandemic started. It, it, I feel better than that, than having nicer clothes to wear or more money in my bank account. See, that's our calling. That's what God's called you to be. And I'll say this last thing. I'm going to close with this. Um, it's absolutely not about money because God doesn't need or want your money. It's about your heart because God absolutely wants your heart. Jesus, the man who hung on the cross, said these words, where your treasure is, your heart will be. So more than he talked about faith or prayer or heaven or hell, he talked about finances because he knew those blessings had become a stranglehold on us if we let them. Don't let that be your source. Lay aside your position, your titles, your nice things, your money. By the way, be proud that God gave you those things. But lay them aside and surrender your life to Jesus.